Hello, hello, and welcome back after a month and a half long hiatus to... Beneath the screen of the Ultra Critics Precious. That was a really good slammer. Took me a minute to figure out what it was, but it was really yeah. good. Actually, I was going for Smeagol, but we'll we'll do it. Whatever. Hi, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Thad, welcome back. Hi. I uh, got my coffee here, so I'm doing good. Um, we are going, we have a sort of new format we're trying out. It's not radically new, but we'll talk more about it as, um, next month. But as of right now, for the month of January, we just have this one episode, and we're going to be talking about, um, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse and Bumblebee and how they relate to both being the sixth or seventh in a franchise and making it feel new while also talking about how they both show us how animation can be used in ways we haven't really thought of before. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would, I would almost say we could make the uh, the title of the episode "Make It New," but that's a reference to Ezra Pound, and he was a fascist. Uh... <laughs> before we get into that, though, we have a news item. Yeah, uh, Ivan yeah, Reitman has announced. Sorry, Jason. Jason Reitman has announced that he is. Writing and directing a sequel to Ghostbusters. Because Ah. if you have five movies in a row that bomb horribly, you automatically (laughs) get keys to a franchise that was started by your father. This is the definition of what Kevin Smith called failing up. Oh man, it it really, really is. Now Um, understand, I love Tully. And uh, I love Young Adult. We're not talking about critical consensus here. We're talking about the fact yeah. that these movies bombed. <laughs> oh man, I forgot. I forgot completely about Thank You for Smoking. But that was a that was a really that was the first that time I remember say, seeing that's Aaron just Eckhart. Debut. <laughs> yeah, I, that was the first time I remember seeing Aaron Eckhart as well. And then yeah. he's charming as hell. Yeah, I like uh, Jason Reitman. It's just yeah. one of the things I'm like, wait, wait <laughs> but uh, okay, <laughs> this is clearly an activism thing. Yeah. Um, and also, just I. Uh, this uh, this uh, relates a little bit to superhero movies and things we'll be talking about shortly, but like, and and people who don't know me personally may not realize how big a deal it is that I I just I don't feel anything about the fact that they're making another Ghostbusters movie because I love Ghostbusters, Jeremiah. <laughs> I I love them, but I just like I'm just so tired. Like I, I barely care that there's a new Spider-Man movie coming out, and I loved Homecoming, and I, I just, I'm, I'm tired. <laughs> Honestly, I think tired is the best adjective of last year. Yeah, uh, and I mean, it's especially with the superhero thing. It's interesting since, for for reasons that I won't go into, we were talking about movies from a decade ago, uh, just before we started recording, and it's like. That that 2008 summer where we were seeing like Iron Man, Incredible Hulk, and Hellboy Two, and Dark Knight, like we were super jazzed. <laughs> we we were like we we felt good about like cheesy blockbuster movies. Like it was it was a good time. <laughs> and let's see, let's see, we got Shazam, Captain Marvel, Spider Man. Oh, I should I should be so excited about Shazam, but I don't tr- like Aquaman and and like the fact that they've been able to prove that they can have like 
they can smile on camera sometimes right. uh, in DC movies makes me less paranoid about that. Did you ever see Aquaman finally? I, I actually haven't yet. Okay. Uh, but I, I trust your take on it, and comparing it to Flash Gordon makes me feel really good about it as a thing. <laughs> um, but, oh, the superhero fatigue is real. <laughs> like I know, like there's a lot of like people, like a lot of commentators, like, well, they just made a bunch of money, so clearly super uh, superhero fatigue isn't here yet. I'm like, it made money, but like it's one of the things where like uh, Aquaman made a lot of money because Aquaman is so refreshing, and the fact that it doesn't take itself seriously, but yeah. does at the same time. But like it's really hard to explain unless you see it. Like, and it's and it seems like it's the kind of ridiculous movie that people can just watch in any theater in the world, as opposed to like needing to be taken seriously right like it doesn't it's just fun it's the most fun i've had in a superhero movie in quite uh, a long time and that's like I'll, and i saw it like within a week or two of spider-verse and they both are just really sort of extremely all right yeah i, I can have fun god i mean not to not to go too far down this hole but it's just like after after Infinity War, I, I was feeling pretty burned out on superhero stuff. And I felt a little bit better after I saw Ant-Man and the Wasp. Right. Uh, but even then, it's just like, oh. And then Spider-Verse was like, oh, wow, there's... I mean, I suppose this is what we're starting... We're getting into discussion-wise. But that, that really just like, oh, I can like movies and Spider-Man and all this stuff again. And it doesn't have to be related to to 10 years worth of anything while also <laughs> it can reference like 70 <laughs> just yeah it, it can reference back to like the 1960s and still oh man oh and so, then right back and then after leaving the theater it's like oh no wait i'm still gonna have to go and watch all these other movies because it's a cultural obligation oh no <laughs> so information congratulations is uh, gonna be an all-male ghostbuster movie we've only had two of those Oh, yeah, finally, finally, men can have their time busting ghosts. Oh, yay. Just, what? Well, I've heard that, so, like, I've heard some of them, like, you know, it wouldn't be so bad if you just, like, made, like, half of them women and half of them men. I'm like, that was the argument the first time you guys had a hissy fit, but whatever. Um, uh, and I, I just, I don't, I don't care about universes or anything else. I, I kind of just want Ghostbusters to be set aside for now because of how awful I found out so many Ghostbusters fans are. I think, and this is going to be something else that we can discuss later on, like, this could actually just be a part of, like, the idea of having everything be a universe is awesome. Yeah. But when all media is it's do doing it, <laughs> Everything's it becomes doing it. exhausting and, like, homework. And I'm like, can I just watch a movie that's just a movie without being connected to anything else? Yeah, I mean, that, like, that's... Like, context is one thing, but having a universal context, it's like, oh, God. Yeah, I... this is... It's it's the it's the thing that always drives me out of comics, because as, <laughs> as, as you are probably aware, though I have typically been known as, like, the comics guy out of various friend groups, like, I will leave comics intermittently. Like, I, I, I still haven't re <laughs> really gone back to superhero comics in a long time. <laughs> it's right. just... Because of all of the things that uh, people who like superhero movies but maybe didn't read comics as much are learning now. Uh, <laughs> it's it's tiring. It's, ugh. Anyway, yeah, yeah, like, you have to, like, there's a lot, like, it's this thing where, like, you missed a movie. Oh, no, now you don't know anything. And yet, you see the next one, it's like, I didn't really need to see that last movie. Yeah. You just told me I had to. Hold on. You're lying. I'm, all I'm of this gonna... still works without prior knowledge. <laughs> yeah. 
Turns out, if you tell a, a, a really good story, you you don't have to. It's, it's fine. <laughs> Whatever. Okay, fine. But uh, right. anyway. So the two movies we're going to be talking about today: Spider Man into the Spider Verse and Bumblebee. Fad, since you're so clearly jazzed for it, you describe the plot to Spider Man into the Spider Verse. Uh, everyone is Spider Man, and we all learn an important lesson. Um, <laughs> I am shocked by how many people haven't picked up that one last part. Everyone is Spider Man. <laughs> uh, I mean, I I feel like that's succinct. Um, I oh god, I I don't even I, like I have to be that terse about it because otherwise I'm just gonna rant about like go off in weird directions because it's so good. Okay, so um, essentially it talks about Miles Morales. Yeah, uh, uh, who's not really even that new of a character anymore. Now that I think of it, um, you know, he's not. It's voiced by uh, Shamik Moore. And basically, his dad, played a voice by Brian Tyree Henry, who's a cop, sends him to a hmm. private school. And he likes it. He loves his dad, but he has a real close relationship with his uncle Aaron, voiced by uh, sorry, uh, Mahershala Ali. And basically, hmm. he's also really into graffiti art. And his dad, being a cop, says, no, don't do that. And then, of course, his uncle's like, no, you should do that. That's your way of expressing yourself. Mm. Street artists have a very important role in our community. And so one night, he takes him down to the subway tunnels. He gets bitten by a spider, because it's a Spider-Man movie. (laughs) (laughs) And then he becomes Spider-Man. In a world that basically already has a Spider-Man? Yeah, and then also more Spider-Men start raining from the sky. Well, that's because Uh. (laughs) Kingpin, voiced by Leif Schreiber... Opens up a portal. Oh, I forgot that. I I don't even think I knew that was Leif Schreiber. That was oh yeah. God, the cast of this movie is rolling oh, yeah, deep and really, really entertaining good. people. Uh, Leif Schreiber's Kingpin has a dimension, a, like an alternate reality mention dimension portal comic book thing. Yeah, he's, because he made Spider-Man a comic. Revealed him as Kingpin, and his family left him. He he wants his fit. He 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 has a very Harrison Ford uh, motivation. Where's my family? Right. Like, uh, because his family, when they leave, gets they get killed. Because in comics, you can't just have one tragic thing happen. It has no, to be a successive tragic thing in well, a matter of minutes. It's based, if you stand near Spider Man for too long, terrible things will happen to you. <laughs> um, the Spider Man in Miles Universe is voiced by Chris Pine. And he is, as you put it, the Spider-Man that works. Like yeah, everything. He's the, he's the only like, and I don't mean this in terms of exterior to the to the the narrative of the film quality, uh, because they're all good. But that Spider-Man is the only good Spider-Man. <laughs> uh, in the in the fact that like his life is not a dissolving mess. Uh, as opposed to literally, actually, we don't necessarily, a few of the other spider peoples that we meet, we don't know a lot about their lives, but like the core cast, at least, uh, like Peter B. and Gwen and uh, Miles himself, uh, their lives are just an absolute wreck. Right. Uh, Peter B., voiced by Jake Johnson, Gwen St- uh, Spider-Gwen, voiced by the woman of the hour, Haley Steinfeld. Yeah. She is, she's just doing it. Yes. Uh, good for her. More about her in the other movie. Uh, by the way, spoilers, I guess. 
Yeah, no, we're going to be heavy into spoilers. We don't, yeah, whatever, we don't care. So, um, basically, you have multiple, uh, the multiverse, and so you get multi, uh, multi-Spider-Man, Spider-Ham, the pig, voiced by John Mulvaney. Oh, my, the, the, ca- like, there's a lot of good casting in this movie. This this may be one of the best voice casts that I, in, in like, recent memory. Spider-Man but, man. Nick Cage. Um, I, I think I think John Mulaney may be the best voice casting. Not not necessarily because he's the best character in the movie by any stretch, but just because if this movie hadn't come out like during the like John Mulaney's having his own sort of moment thing, mm-hmm. then just like some other person would have been cast as that cartoon character. And John Mulaney sounds like a Looney Tune in real life. Um, Penny Parker. Um... With the giant robotic Spider-Man, yeah, uh, Kimiko Glenn, and one of my personal favorites, uh, Doc Ock. Oh man! Who is which? Spoiler: turns out to be Doc Liv Octavius, uh, Catherine Hahn from Bad Moms. Yeah, they they leaned hard into the oh right, this is we're we're doing multiple universes and like the the base universe, the universe where the main plot takes place is different from any Spider-Man universe that we've we've seen before. And so they just do all sorts of stuff with it. Like the not only do they have their like successful like not not a wreck of a human being Chris Pine Spider-Man, <laughs> but like yeah, like Doc Ock is a woman and uh Peter has blonde hair for some reason. It's it's just it's 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 nice. It's nice that they they managed to to put together some decent twists. Uh, um, Mary Jane, voiced by Zoe Kravitz, and Lily Tomlin, voiced Aunt May, and that's the cast. And basically, is Miles trying to get all the Spider-Men back to the homeworlds and stop the Kingpin from basically ripping open the fabric of space-time continuum. It is yeah. a comic book movie, and there's tragedy and laughs along the way. Uh, oh, yeah. Also, also it, uh, amazing. It, is, it, is, it is way better than its source material, I'm just going to go out and say, because I've, I've, I've read a lot of the... Uh the like cross universe Spider-Man stuff the last few years into the, like the, the Spider-Verse and Spider-Geddon and other like crossovers. I've read parts of those and they're mostly a story called Spider-Geddon. Yeah. That's the, the sequel to the original Spider-Verse, uh, uh, story in the comics. And mostly they're, uh, they're comic book crossover events. That's take it like that's it. It digs deep into like Spider-Man lore, uh, makes things really convoluted and strange. And all of the good, all of the best parts of it are the side stories that are about the characters that we don't get to spend as much individual time with in the plot. It is a very middle of the road. Like, yeah, that's a comic book crossover. It worked. It's fine. Well, uh, and this this movie like takes all of those premises and elevates the material in in a way that like most comic book movies don't get around to doing. <laughs> well, I get, I mentioned in the video like. Comic book universe, multi-universes and stuff, that's an age-old thing in comics. And it's something oh, sure. the, the movies have largely stood clear of. It is dangerous to, is. to open that door. Uh, I was actually really afraid of what Spider-Verse was going to be like because I don't like multi-universe stories. They almost right. always cause bad things to happen in terms of writing quality. <laughs> and instead, what we get is... Because they, I think they do a really good job of understanding which spider people are the ones who we want to focus on. Yeah, we got which we got ones Miles. Are going to be tertiary. We got Miles. We got Peter B. And we got Gwen. And they're they're the the characters that have actual arcs. Right. 
and like the other ones are there because uh, 30s noir Spider-Man, uh, cartoon Spider-Man, and anime girl Spider-Man are all f- just funny ideas that are good for support and like background bits. There, and that's... There's a climactic <laughs> battle at the end. It's actually really good. And it's also one yeah. of the few action movies, action scenes where the plot actually matters to the action so you don't really have to check out. <laughs> Um, oh man, like I loved Venom so much, but wow, that the the third act was just like they kept it in a box to the side that was unrelated to anything, and then they just open it. It's yeah, like, the, oh, time yeah, to open the, the third act. Venom like doesn't make sense. It's like almost like outside of that one chase scene, it's all just sort of visual noise because you really can't tell uh, what's going on. Yeah, spider says it's a lot of bright lights and a lot of bright colors and flashing stuff, but you can tell what's going on, and it's all germane yeah. to the oh, story. Man. Like this and, is well, that's, and that's one of the things. Most CG animated movies that we see aren't action movies of any kind, right? And so this movie really got to benefit from like the those decisions. Like I, I, I will complain a lot about like action directing and and like fight scenes being messy or whatever else. But like, if you're filming an action scene, like where you put the camera and all of that, like you have to make hard choices, right? And I, I get that. But in computer animation, the freedom that you have, man, they took advantage of it here. Well, uh. Between Incredibles 2 and this one, we show, they showed us that animation can do action in a way that live action can't, in a way that I don't think audiences had ever really realized or grasped. Yeah, because most of the time if we think of computer animation, we think Toy Story, and right. then everyone sits down and, and has a little cry but incredibles uh. too even though people like it's a mess everyone's like it's exhilarating though because it's mm. as action-packed and immersive as a mission impossible yeah it's very much especially in the spite of us like the freedom of be- it being animation allows for a more staccato rhythm and a more wide angles and smooth tracking shots and all of that in a way that it feels organic because it's animation you don't have to worry about mm. things like laws of gravity but yeah. they do try to give you some, like, in order for all that to work, they have to come up with rules of how the laws of physics work in that universe. Mm. And both of those movies do have, to some degree, rules and how, like, if you fall, they won't get hurt, but other people can. Because yeah. they're super-powered and they're not. Woo! Well, if you're Kingpin, you're just really bulky. Yeah. Oh god. That the only thing that I complained about in regard to this movie at all is that I have a long-standing comic book nerd beef with having the Kingpin able to do anything to Spider-Man. And I I will keep it brief, but I get that the Kingpin is initially a Spider-Man villain from like back in the 60s. I've I've read reprints of those old issues. Like I know that. I know that it was always a thing. It's like, "Oh, I'm actually pure muscle under here." But like Spider-Man can lift a car. <laughs> I don't care how much you bench, bro. <laughs> you can't lift a car. Maybe he can. That... Maybe he chooses not to show off. <sighs> I, I, it's, it's fine. It's fine. He's not superhuman <laughs> at all. He shouldn't be able to do anything that like Captain America can't do. <sighs> okay. All right. <sighs> all right. I'm fine. I'm fine. So. I'm fine. I'm going to mention three names that don't get mentioned a lot when talking about Spider-Verse, and that's Bob Pachetti, Peter Ramsey, and Rodney Rotham. Mm-hmm. Um, these are the directors of yes. Spider- Into the Spider-Verse, not, as you would think, Lloyd and Philip Lloyd and Christopher Miller. Right. Um, sorry, Phil Lloyd and Christopher Miller, my bad. Mm. 
but it's one of the things where like Lloyd and Miller produced it and Phil Lloyd helped write it, but like they helped shepherd this movie into completion, but Pachetti, Ramsey, and Rotham are the ones doing most of the heavy lifting here. Mm, yes. Uh, it's just that Lord and Miller have that like sweet, sweet name recognition already. Right. Um, and I well, not, not undeservedly. The success of Spider-Verse does not mean that if had they stayed on to Solo, we would get anything as inventive or as exciting as Spider-Verse because there which, they were directing, I... was here they were just producing. And there's a giant what? rift of a difference between those two roles and be live action and animation. Yeah, listen, listen, listen to our, our previous interview episode about producing. Um, <laughs> and also, like, uh, Solo was good, fight me. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I concur. I, I enjoyed it more than most people did. Uh, anyway, um, but yeah, yeah, like the, that's, especially with animation, like the, it's kind of fascinating to me that, like, the directors have sort of been not talked about it. Like, it really, like, again, not to, not to, like, dump on, on Lord and, uh, and Miller, but, like, they're kind of the main names I've heard, and they yeah. don't really de- deserve it in this case. <laughs> not that the, I'm sure they did good work in, in the roles that they had, but, like, is it because there are three directors? Is that why everyone's like, well, that's too much to remember. Let's just say Lord and Miller over and over. Well, when it comes to animation, most uh, most animation movies have one or two directors. Especially Pixar, yeah. they tend to have two directors. Unless yeah. it's an Andrew Stanton or Brad Bird or something like that. Um, it's just I mean, I guess that's fair. Usually, I mean, um, usually, yeah, Pixar movies are often talked about just in terms of being Pixar movies. That's yeah. At least it's, in terms of popular conversation. I mean, obviously, like, film discourse is slightly more uh, specific And I think than that's that. just because that's, like, how, like, they do it on YouTube. They'll just, like, Pixar because it's easier to remember Pixar than, you know, write down a note like I did. <laughs> <laughs> Notes. I mean, I'm not I'm just no. saying that that could be a reason. <laughs> I would never accuse uh, anyone on YouTube of being lazy because I know it's a lot of work to make a video. And that means terrible. clearly they can't be lazy. Uh, but yes um (laughs) jeremiah has opinions um no it's fair um the editing by robert fisher jr in spite of us i think also helps because like it's act it's the thing about into the spite of us visually that's astounding is going back to pixar pixar has basically conditioned us into think animations as smooth clear lines and details Mm. Whereas Into the Spider-Verse is like an actual movie in terms of the background will be out of focus because they want you to focus on the foreground. Yeah. And not only that, but the character design in, and the background design at times switches um, sharply. And sometimes it's a, like Kingpin is the only one that looks like Kingpin. Well, the Incredibles all have the similar, same like similar body type. Kingpin yeah. is the only one with that body type and everyone else looks vaguely normal. Yeah, man. Like it's this weird thing of abstract and surrealism mixed together, and it still feels like natural. Ah, it works just weirdly. Honestly, one one of the things that's interesting, and I think this is is also partly, you know, the the unsung hero of the editor is is important to call out. I was not convinced that Into the Spider Verse would visually work until I saw the movie. Like, the trailers, I don't think, were as good. Like The they... trailers weren't good, and there was, a, like, if you stayed for, and I'm not 
exaggerating, the credits for Venom were like 15 to 20 minutes long. Yeah. So if you sat through a sitcom worth of credits, <laughs> you would see a five-minute bit from Into the Spider-Verse. Yeah. And which like, was good, I... and that's what got me excited. But outside of the movie, the trailers were like, this doesn't, like, this looks weird. Yeah, it does. A little bit concerned about. Uh, I, I I don't. I'm not as worried now, but I wonder if it will look as good on home screens, like with, without as much real estate to to take it all in. I, I am. I wonder about that. Well, uh, I do know bu- a lot of people have complained about they thought they saw it in the wrong format. Oh yeah, because <laughs> like, just because like of the, the, the like, I still have people complaining to the, rejection. <laughs> just the because of the the little offset print like look that they went with yeah. uh people thought it was what was it people thought it was a 3d movie because the they it's it like, looked co- different again, because, like i said they blow out the background and yeah. that's all you're so used to watching an animation movie where everything's in focus with with an infinite focus plane yeah right well like and maybe like and i'm not saying like Pixar's movies aren't like a completely in deep focus. It's just when they do the soft background focus, it's not noticeable because it's so sharply making yeah. you look at the foreground. Whereas Spider Verse will have these sort of like, I would say like almost like mid shots where you can see the foreground mm. and the background equally, but they're blurring mm. the background because they want you to pay attention to the front. Yeah. Whereas Pixar uh. would more normally do it in such a way as. There'll be a wide shot and everything's in focus, and you'll have more of a focus on the more colorful uh, foreground, mm. or and the way they'll maybe tilt the camera up or down, so you're not really focusing on the background so much as the character's face. Yeah, uh, it's oh man, it's such a cool looking movie. Ah. It's so colorful, <laughs> and to the point. That's another thing that I I noticed when I watched the Far From Home trailer. It's like there's color. But yeah. Into the Spider-Verse is so alive with color. <laughs> yeah, now we have to go back to the, the dumb meat world with real human people. <laughs> Which, speaking of color, we'll get into in the next movie here in a couple of minutes. But yes, it's one of the things where Into the Spider-Verse, the theme of the movie, it actually has a theme. Yeah. And it's a very simple theme of we're all Spider-Man. And like I remember someone mentioning that Stan Lee said, well, yeah, that's why he wore a mask, so anyone could imagine themselves being Spider-Man. Yeah. Although, I mean, Stan Lee is also always at least 20% full of crap, but right. it's fine. I, 20% is <laughs> pretty generous. I would go about 40, but... Yeah. Uh, but still, like, it's... Yeah, it, you, you see all... Uh, I don't know. They, they made one of my least favorite comic book things work. Like, leaning heavy into alternate dimensions and things, right. but, like... Uh, and I mean, like Gwen. The, this version of Gwen has been like a, a breakout character the last several years as well. So I'm mm-hmm. I'm, I'm glad to see that work on screen. And uh, oh, yeah, just like all like Sp- Spider Man works as a, a a really good metaphor. Uh, and they used this movie to like very clearly broaden that metaphor to be more than just oh, you're a teenage boy, uh, specifically a white one, uh, for some reason. Uh, well, becoming a man, and then now that, it's but... like, oh, here's all of these people who are like, uh, I don't just, see seeing like future schlubby Spider Man for some reason. <laughs> I also like, I really like because it reminds me of an argument that I used to make a lot, which is about how like trapping it is 
for a character arc that there has to be always be a book next month. Right. Because <laughs> that that like just burned out, tired, like Peter Parker is what normal Spider Man would grow up into. Like <laughs> Making all of the normal Spider-Man decisions and making and, and like going through all of the normal Spider-Man drama, like that that would be his future. But they're always like he always has to bounce back, like in the comics. And I, I kind of like the, I kind of like that he they they sort of give him an arc of like you know maybe he'll pull himself together, but it's also he's also Peter Parker, so he probably won't. <laughs> the fact that they give Miles a family. Yes. A fully functional, no one is dead, everyone is their family, with the exception of Uncle Aaron, who will soon be dead. But that becomes a tragedy of a much broader situation and becomes less of a... Look, it's important that you lose an uncle. It comes with, this affects his relationship with his father. It's important that you lose an uncle when you're uh, a Spider-Man. <laughs> right. Which They're I do love one of the things important. they keep... Deconstruct the Spider-Man mythos so completely with everyone having the yeah. okay one last time here's the origin story and everyone has one of those <laughs> to the point where Nick like everyone tells you like the likes and the dislikes and what they do yeah uh, I was bitten by a radioactive pig um... <laughs> my pastime is drinking egg creams and punching Nazis <laughs> uh, the wind always blows wherever I am. <laughs> And it always smells of rain. Uh, yes. But, like, the Miles, the relationship between Miles and his father, and how his father feels about Spider-Man, is an added sort of emotional layer that most comic book movies probably would have, like, in, a, in an attempt to, like, make him more tragic for some reason, only give him, mm. like, a single-payout household. Yeah. As opposed to giving him a loving household. And having him really desperately loving his father and respecting his father, then having his father have to do a 180 on Spider-Man. Because he is a police officer, so he would not like a vigilante, even your neighborhood Spider-Man. But he's so friendly. (laughs) And that scene where his dad comes to his school and has that moment with him on the other side of the door when he's tied up. Yeah. It's a very emotional moving scene because they've done the groundwork. Yeah, like we we the it's they they don't just expect us to to go along. Like there's a lot of good character work in this movie. Like they spend time developing different relationships, and it's uh, you know it's it's it, animation. I think often gets uh, with the exception of Pixar because we've been with it long enough that people just accept that they know how to write. But like right. animation often gets sort of ignored in terms of. Uh, the writing <laughs> and, <laughs> and uh yeah this this movie like sort of respects its characters and its audience enough to to let those things build uh it's nice yes um so uh in in summation spider-man into the spider-verse uh one of the best movies of the year uh easily one of the better comic book movies ever made yeah. as of right now argument <laughs> um it's still in theater so you should go see it just over and over forever. Actually, can so brief brief aside before we transition and talk about Bumblebee. Okay. Um, the way that they just let Aunt May be uh, a, a badass. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, not just be a badass, but just like be an older woman, but like not a caricature of one is nice because the more that I see previews of um the the that first trailer for uh, homecoming, the next not homecoming, far from home. Yeah, from from new Spider Man movie. 
like it, the the more it makes the the continued like reliance of oh we cast Marissa Tomei and now Aunt May is hot isn't it isn't it funny that this character who's traditionally an old woman is uh, more conventionally attractive now and it's just like uh, the that joke feels a lot weirder now that we went back and just had like a more classic style Aunt May who very clearly is uh, shipped with Liz uh, with Liv sorry. Uh, but come on. Well, here's the thing. And this is also because the way we view elderly people have changed. Yeah. And because people, A, live longer, and now elderly people have a more active role in society. Well, I mean, I mean to be fair, Aunt May has been ancient since 1960. Right. Like... <laughs> well, but what we have is, like, even um, Sam Raimi's Aunt May was ancient. Like, she yeah. was always, oh, like, three steps like from the grave. She was bedridden half the time um <laughs> this one is she's old she's old but she's not dead she has a life she's apparently incredibly smart and good with machinery and has built peter a lab underground in the shed <laughs> oh love it um, um and while the new one is like they have mr tomei who i adore and have had a crush on I'm, for most of my life but absolutely. even i'm like could you do something more with marissa tomei she's incredibly talented yeah she's, she's such a good actress <laughs> why does it just have to be the punchline that she's everyone thinks she's hot like god yeah she's aging I, gracefully but there uh, has to be more to that character than the fact that she looks good like, for her i age. love I, like homecoming is still one of my favorite of the marvel cinematic universe movies but like the the more time that i come back to it the more like bits like that where it's just oh let's have Tony be weird toward this woman yeah. who's just living her life Ugh. All right. Bumblebee came out did you know that so Bumblebee <laughs> uh, Bumblebee is what would happen if they made a Transformers movie only it was good uh- <laughs> <laughs> uh, well thanks by- for joining yes. <laughs> directed by Travis Knight um, who did Kubo and the Two Strings and some other um Stop motion animation. Mm. And whereas Spider-Man really benefited from being told uh, in animation, Bumblebee seems to benefit really well by being directed live action by an animator. Yeah. Because... Uh, Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, like, I think that even just looking at the robot designs, not even, although obviously... Uh, like how they move and how they're used and how they're framed and everything. But like just looking at the robot designs and the fact that, that like an animator looked at them and said, well, wouldn't it be great if we could just coherently recognize them and their movements and their facial expressions? Wouldn't, right. wouldn't that, wouldn't that be great? Well, not only that, <laughs> but like, let's also, it's written by Christina Hodges. Oh, yeah. Sorry, Christina Hodges. And uh, the first woman ever to watch uh, a Transformers H- movie. H- H- Hodson. H O D S O N Hudson. First woman ever to write a Transformers movie, and and, and this shows. is like the yeah, and this is like the fiftieth Transformers movie, so it took right. them a little while. It's like the six, <laughs> literally the six. Um, but it feels like because the plot of Bumblebee is essentially how we've all talked about how Megan Fox should have been the main character in the first two or three Transformers movies. It yeah. takes the idea of the Megan Fox character. And makes her a human being. Yeah. And an actual teenager in which sometimes she's awesome. Sometimes she's like, oh my god, get over yourself. Yeah. And then you're like, why are you so angry at your mother? I don't understand. She's... <laughs> <laughs> um, well, 
Well, because uh, because she blames her mom because her dad died of uh, the the typical film illness of dead mom's disease right. instead of her mom dying of dead mom's disease. So, uh, for those yeah, uh, for those of you who haven't seen Bumblebee, uh, Haley Steinfeld plays Charlie, a young woman who. Is she listens to the Smiths as one of the few characters in cinematic history who listens to the Smiths and you believe listen to the Smiths? Yeah, that seems like what you would do. Uh, uh, I mean, it it takes place in the eighties, uh, so it's already the most less 80s weird. Movie you'll ever see than not made in the eighties, like it feels. Oh man! Like you could watch this alongside Mac and me and be like, well, I mean, the can the the film quality is a little different, but <laughs> um, anyhow. She's your typical moody teenager. Uh, yeah. She uh, is working on her dad's Camaro because that's what they used to do together. And every day or every other day or so, she goes to the junkyard okay. uh, owned by a guy not. named Hank, who played by uh, <laughs> Len Carew, who's a really great character actor. And she stumbles upon a Volkswagen, who turns out to be Bumblebee, which has a... I really like the nice little touch of having like a little hive starting to form. Yeah, that's cute. Because anyone who has ever been around uh, vehicles that sit abandoned for a long time, uh, bees live there. That's where bees live. (laughs) And she falls in love with the car because she likes cars. He gives it to her, and she takes it home. Turns out Bumblebee is a Transformer. He was sent to scout. Oh, he has has a... He has amnesia. Bumblebee right, he does not amnesia. know what he has PTSD, what amnesia. He can't talk because they ripped out his vocal cords. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's, the, the boy's got a lot going on. Um, yeah. Vo- the voice, by the way, is Dylan O'Brien. Oh. <laughs> but, and, but here's the thing. I'll say this. The violence in this movie, even though it is not as intense, is more... Sometimes really surprising, honestly. <laughs> like, it was really sort of violent. Cause yeah, because opened... when they rip out his vocal cords, they rip out his vocal cords. Like, they, they do such a good job of making Bumblebee seem like a sentient character. It's like, okay, well, we're going to interrogate you and torture you. And, oh, you want to talk? Yeah. Well, how about you never talk again? Yeah, like, uh, I could never... I, okay, full disclosure, I have only seen two Transformers movies completely prior to this. And I saw part of the third one. Uh, uh, and it still didn't help. Right. And because, uh, because, yeah, you you were there uh, during the last time I saw a Transformers movie in theaters. It was awful. Uh, oh, I wasn't with you. Oh, you? I thought you were there for the for Transformers two. I saw Transformers two on my own. Oh, okay. Huh? I thought uh, okay. We we saw it. We saw it around the same time <laughs> because we were still. The, yeah, we no, I would remember yeah. because otherwise it would have been therapeutic to have seen that one with someone else. But I had. Oh no, no, no. I'm sorry. I was I was confused because we saw uh, that came out in the same month as uh, X Men Origins colon Wolverine, which yes, we did that see together. We did see <laughs> together. <laughs> uh, anyway, so they finally made a good Transformers movie. Um, Haley Steinfeld, who was really good at playing a teenager, uh, yep. because she used to be one like yeah. three years ago. <laughs> Not even that long ago. Um, um, she was really good in Edges Seventeen, which you haven't seen that as well. Um, oh, nice. But both in spite of us and in here, she's excellent in doing what needs to be done. And she does a really good job of being the leading 
the lead character, like being like yeah. doing having the chops to just be like, I my arc isn't that deep, mm-hmm. but I'm the thing that's making this movie turn. Yeah, and like the uh, relationship between her and Bumblebee is really like that's what makes this movie work. Yeah, it's it's super it's a girl fascinating. And a robot. Yeah, it's 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 girl meets robot, and uh, and they they form a, a special bond, and then uh, later more robot fights happen. Yeah, right. well, uh, like even then, again, the action is more clear, and because a Bumblebee oh, has a motivation, so the fights make more sense. And it's because... so much clearer. You you can one hundred percent like you can sit down and in a couple of minutes explain what was going on in the movie from beginning to end succinctly. <laughs> well, uh, like. Travis Knight being a animator, I think helps because normally, if uh, an action scene is a set piece, and that goes yeah. to the production department and the second AD and all that. Hmm. Well, uh, this one is the action scenes flow into the narrative. Yeah. For example, the chase scene through the tunnel in which he sort of half turns into Bumblebee and half turns into the Volkswagen. Oh, it's such a good. That's such it's, a good bit. It's such an imaginative bit too that Michael Bay never would have done. Yeah, like, well, what do you what do you mean? They're they're robots or they're cars? I don't understand. Right. Well, again, because it's built into the story. Because they're like getting I, away after him accidentally making too much noise at the house they were meant to vandalize. Yeah, and it's, then the it's cop like, chases uh, them, and they just don't want to be caught because both of them shouldn't be out after midnight or something like that. Yeah, it gets uh, there. There's like they're getting revenge on like high like high school mean girls and it gets it kind of bumblebee accelerates things real fast and it's so funny uh well again like like because like because these are characters and because like they all have like a point of view and what they're trying to do and an arc yeah. it allows them to the funny stuff comes from the fact that oh yes he's an alien the notion of what if i just smash this car with my foot well you want me to Damage you, right? Well, that's damaging it. That had, I don't yeah, understand why you're freaking out. <laughs> it's like it's it's the same. Like at its core, it's an incredibly familiar story because like kid meets weird alien thing is its own genre at this right. point. <laughs> but it but it it's done like super well. It's these two characters who are like uh, angry. Well, like she's specifically like angry at the world and disaffected, and Bumblebee's like because she's literally, a teenager. <laughs> Bumblebee's. Bumblebee's literally broken, and <laughs> and you know they they play off of each other until uh, they figure out how to live in the world slightly better. And it's also one fight of robots. those movies where the the subtext is kind of the text. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he's like broken. That, he's literally broken. He's literally broken. <laughs> um, John Cena as Agent Burns. It's John Cena plays uh, John Cena plays John Cena being a uh, a really funny action dude. Um. <laughs> Not only that, but he has a one of the best lines of the Decepticons. Why are we the called They're Decepticons? Called Decepticons. <laughs> and as you put it, for the first time in history, the Decepticons are actually attempting to deceive. Yeah, the Decepticons actually like lie to people and, and like trick them. And it's wonderful. It's such a little Shatter, voiced by Angela fucking Bassett, of all people. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, but, like, also, like, the dialogue in this movie, like, it's fun. Like, it's sort of like, okay, it I all... mentioned Lynn Carew as the guy who owns the junkyard. And yeah. there's this moment where she, Haley Steinfeld's Charlie comes in, slams, like, four bucks and a pen 
down on the counter. It's like, look, the yellow Volkswagen in the junkyard. I want it. It's my birthday. I'll make you a deal. All right? I go out there. I put the key in. And if the car starts up, it's mine. And he's like, that's not a deal. That's just you taking my car. (laughs) And then it's like, fine. I'll do all these things. I'll clean your disgusting toilets and I'll yada, yada, yada. It's like, tell you what. You get it running, you fix it, and I'll give it to you. It's your birthday. And my toilets are gorgeous. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just a great little little bit of banter. Oh, I love it. And then and here's she the other leaves, thing. he's like, where is she going in that thing? That's a death trap. And he's like, yeah, but look how happy she is. Slow uh-huh. motion, hand wave, beautiful music playing. Also, so can, can I, like, the... <laughs> One of the things that I think it makes this like the first good Transformers movie, which I'm, I'm going to keep saying, even though the first Transformers movie wasn't actually complete garbage, right. uh, like is that this movie takes the like is able to to like play with the premise in ways that are both seriously and kind of jokey without making fun of the premise. Well, because like all of the all of the Bay movies, and I have a really good example of this, but all of the Bay movies seem to really kind of mock their own like premise in, right. in a lot of ways. Like they, they they seem kind of cruel towards the idea that like Transformers are cool. Uh, but like this movie, and I think the Decepticons are are a great showcase of everything that makes this movie like work in the robot category, <laughs> because while they're tricking the humans into helping them track down Bumblebee. They just like move aside and stage whisper to each other right. about the fact that they're tricking the humans. <laughs> and it's you get this like farcical moment where like John Cena's character is the only one who notices that this is BS. And <laughs> while the robots are like, Yes, yes, we will we will trick them into finding like B whatever his his Autobot designation is. And then we will kill all of them. And then like turn back to the human. Like it's, it's so dumb, but it works because it's so earnest. And I not only that, but like there's a moment where like she, uh, Shatter kneels before the humans and the one next to it, like literally sighs despondently before following suit. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, it's so good. It, Not it, only it that, looks... but again, the violence because they do kill humans. Oh yeah, in like, like it's really surprising what it happens. Like, and they don't kill humans in the sense of like they they blow up, but they blow up, they turn them into piles of goo. Like yeah, they pop goo. them into goo, right. <laughs> which is. They are still killing them. They're not coming back from that. But it's still sort of like, oh wow, like there are consequences. Oh. People die. <laughs> oh wow, that that was something. They burst that person into generic human sauce. Like that's. <laughs> Well, okay, even the final, the final action scene is there's a moment where Bumblebee traps one of them like in a head clutch and then yeah. blows up a nearby dam. Yeah. Basically drown the two. She's like, you'll kill us both. It's like, that. he doesn't care. The mission is to save Earth. Yeah. The mission is not to get out alive. <laughs> Uh, it's yeah, it's a, it's a good fight. It's a good fight scene that you can follow the entire time. Not only that, but again, going back to the tunnel scene, they fight, they turn into machines and fight each other's machines, and then they turn back into robots. It's like it's this really thing with like it's kind of like that fifteen minutes of Civil War where everyone talks about. It felt like you were playing for you with your toys. Yeah, Bumblebee but feels very... like he's playing with the characters. 
Yeah, in a very good way. Right. Again, it's had that sort of textual, that sort of tactile sensibility that comes from the fact that he does claymation. And so he's treating yeah. these things not as just a separate department that someone else handles, but as something as organic to the plot and so they feel and are designed to be relatable and understandable. Yeah. Also, uh, like, just as a as a person who vaguely remembers some parts of the 1980s, uh, like, th- this is such a nerd thing, but the, the Transformers look like themselves. Like, a, you, Optimus Prime pops out, and it looks like an Optimus Prime. Like, that's 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 so nice. Well, uh, it's, it's, it makes me happy. <laughs> well, even, not, like, the fact that Hudson says down, it's like, okay, why is Bumblebee coming to Earth? Yeah. And it's not like something that's like, why is Bumblebee coming to Earth? And then will tell you in a 10 minute long baffling monologue at the end of the movie. No, we're just, we're just, we, we have an opening fight scene that sets up the stakes of the movie, like a, a war on the robot planet. And it's great. A scene on Cybertron. What a great word. Always love an excuse <laughs> Cybertron out loud. <laughs> a scene on Cybertron where we know what's going on. Optimus Prime, once again voiced by Peter Cullen. God help us if he ever dies. Oh, no. <laughs> and he gives Bumblebee a mission, and they're off. Yep. Off and running. Like, there's here, uh, like, Peter Cullen shows up to deliver the stakes of the movie, and then uh, we go to Earth. Right. And then it becomes <laughs> Haley Steinfeld and Bumblebee sort of finding, like, sort of feeling each other out as they become this very weird shape of bumblebee-esque relationship <laughs> the shape of autobot yeah that's... <laughs> which i'm only not even half joking i'm kind of dead serious they make some like when i say yeah, it, it's, a, it's okay she'll she'll be, be gentle <laughs> she will be and like when i say it feels like it's written by a woman i mean like the fact that Haley stifle's character has motivation and desire and it's never really like she dresses like a normal human being yeah and it's one of the things also the relationship between bumblebee yes but the guy who plays mimo jorge lindenborg jr like the fact that they constantly bring up i didn't say that was okay yeah. Like, and goes out of its way to, like, I give you consent for this. I don't give you consent for this. And also having a little fun of, like, accidentally stripping him. And it's like, <laughs> oh, you're never getting your shirt back. Oopsie. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but here's my jacket. Uh, like, Mimo... I understand it's cold. <laughs> yeah, M- Mimo is, is the, the neighbor character who who very obviously has a, a crush on, on our protagonist, Charlie. And, right. uh, yeah, they, they avoid fall usual trope it being weird and stalky and gross i think yeah uh and that's nice it's also like um again enrique chidiak who did the cinematography i cannot stress this enough it's the fact that first off it's filmed in a format that can be projected called flat (laughs) and the uh average action movie is shot in scope yeah projected it'll be in scope which means it's a narrower screen flat is a uh, taller larger screen usually reserved for like Shape of Water, um, mm. oddly enough, and dramatic movies, if Bill she could talk. And so to have an action special effects movie in that format, A, shows you A, how much confidence he has in the special effects, mm. and B, just like how much the action isn't going to be lateral, so much it is sort of like the whole motion of it will be 
designed based on what he feels needs to happen, if that makes any sense. Yeah, the the action is much more framed than uh, the sort of everything's going nuts everywhere uh, Michael Bay setup. Because basically what you're talking about is the parallax view of basically having a certain like lateral movement going on. Mm -hmm. And this is like it still exists, but instead of that, instead of just being like a from one side of the screen to the other, it's Bumblebee gets punched, turns into a Volkswagen, drives up the side of a wall to do a bail roll as he turns back into a robot to land on his feet on the other side. Like, the action is much more fluid and is less yeah. concerned about going from one side to the other and just trying to be a fluid motion of action character and motivation. Mm. Yeah, uh, it, it's... I, I had a word that I was going to use to describe it, and now it's gone. Ah. Clean? It's clean. Yeah. You can tell. Yeah. Because <laughs> I, 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 I was struggling for it because I didn't want to say it's simple because, like, the action is not flat at all. Like, no, no, it's no. very. But it, the thing about this movie is that it's as at home in, like, it spends a, a good amount of time with just our two principal characters in a garage. Right. Uh, but it also is as at home, like, in a chase scene or a, a scene where multiple robots are fighting each other in a dock. Like, it, it nothing really feels like it's jarringly visually not working like so these these things just flow into each other very well in a way that like uh is impressive to me because it's called flat does not mean it will be flat basically flat means it's yeah, more yeah, yeah. Depth. I, well, I didn't mean right. I, flat means there's more depth to a frame than it is to a scope and yeah. the fact that when you have one of these why all special effects stuff are done in scope is so you so it's not as easy to spot the strings on the special effects Right, like the, but, the further the further away but, things sort of are, the more it can giving blend more together. depth to these animated CGI characters gives them more life. And mm. because they are more cleanly and minimally designed, they have much more visually appealing and not so visually noisy and yeah. overly complicated when they transform. That's not tw- it doesn't take them two minutes to go from one thing to the other, <laughs> which is why you can go from robot car plane or whatever and back to robot in such a short yeah. amount of time uh and also just like the i mean again you, like you you can tell by looking at bumblebee's face like what emotion he's feeling right it's just you don't uh, need the musical cue as often like it's it's just such a, a look like just going back and looking at the robot designs and animation in the previous films and she, yeah they're technically impressive i'm not i'm not right. saying that like Anyone but they're was lazy. To look at. But they're not animated in a way that allows, like, un- like the- that makes them comprehensible. That make that gives them a comprehensible interior life. Right. <laughs> and basically, what what I well, uh, what, what we've learned is basically these two like they used animation in different ways. Mm. But then they did it in a way that we haven't really thought about using animation before. It's like, why don't we animate more superhero movies? Why must they all be live action? You can yeah. do more if it's animated. You have much more freedom to do it if it's animated, oh, especially stylistically. Not only that, but if you do live action, why not treat it as if it's an animated movie and then give yourself more freedom that way? Because that's really what would... bum- part of what Bumblebee sparks is the fact that the robots are treated as not just a set piece, but as part of the actual story. Yeah. Uh, and the fact they, that animation was used not just as a medium, but as a storytelling device. Yeah. It's, uh, 
you know, actually making all of these parts work together, like from the get go. Yeah, like that's that's that seems to be the 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 thing with the especially with the Transformers movies before now is they all feel uh, and again like they're 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 technically well made, but well, they do feel very like thrown together from separate parts. Here's the thing: I wouldn't say they're technically well made, but they are pretty to look at. That I mean, that's kind of what I mean, just graphically. Okay. Like, okay, we're we're th- like the <laughs> the story air quote. <laughs> and like the the fights and the robot designs and all of these things like feel like they're very clearly designed separately and just put together. Right. Um, uh, while Bumblebee did not make that much money here in the U.S., it is number one for the second week in a row in China. So woo. good for China. Uh, Haley Steinfeld though is having a heck of a year. Yeah, good for her. She's as all is Brian Tyree Henry, but that's a different story altogether. Because <laughs> Brian Tyree Henry is in the, he's in Spider Verse as the mm. dad, he's in Widows, he's in If Bill Street Could Talk, he was in apparently White Boy Rick. He's having a heck of a year. Anyhow, yeah. um, I uh, I'd forgotten that the first time I had seen Haley Stanfield was as Maddie Ross in uh, True Grit. Yeah, she's That's... really good. She's also a yeah. pop star overseas. Apparently, she she has been good for a long t- for a longer time than I remembered. Uh... <laughs> All right, so we're running out of time. So thank you for joining us. Um, we'll be back in February as we talk about the male gaze and the female gaze. Woo! Uh, we'll have a special guest. Um, I'll let you know who at that point in time. But outside of that, don't forget to check out um, Phantom Analyst, uh, Ladies First, and Right to Survive. So without further ado, um, oh, on a batch book snobbery as well. I need to write. A, I need to write that down. Um, Be a okay, team player, so, Jeremiah. Without further ado, that's all we got time for. Say goodbye, Ben. Goodbye. I'm going now.